0: The guns finally turn on Bernie, sort of. Michael Bloomberg keeps getting clocked, and Joe Biden wants you to know that he's going to say some words, Dag Nabbit. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. My savvy fans secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com. So, have you been noticing as the stock market has been plummeting over the last couple of days? I mean, down like almost 2,000 points over the last couple of days. The single largest stock market drop over two days since 2008. It's been pretty brutal. And that's been largely due to coronavirus and the disruption of global supply chains. You know what's one thing that has actually gone up is gold. Gold continues to go up as people look for a safe haven. Maybe now would be a good time for you to diversify at least a little bit into precious metals. And the people I trust to do that, you know them, Birch Gold. What is your plan to safeguard your savings considering... We really are living in a pretty unpredictable and unstable time. If you haven't yet taken the first step of requesting a free information kit on gold, go ahead and do it. If you haven't converted a portion of your eligible IRA or 401k to an IRA in precious metals, have that conversation. Birch Gold will go to work and make things super simple for you. There's no obligation, so you have nothing to lose to take that first step. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Text BEN to 474747 during the month of February. When you open an IRA in precious metals, you will get a signed copy of my book, The Right Side of History, for free. It is the end of February, so this would be it. Again, you have to text my name, Ben, to 474747 this month. It is almost over. Open an IRA in Precious Metals. Get a signed copy of my book, The Right Side of History. Again, just as a responsible person, you should be at least a little bit diversified into Precious Metals. The folks at Birch Gold can help you. Text my name, Ben, to 474747 to get started right now. Okay, so last night was the final Democratic debate that mattered. Because once we hit South Carolina, the sucker's over. Here's the bottom line. If Joe Biden does not win South Carolina walking away, it can't be a close victory. He has to win by probably double digits. Unless Joe Biden has a massive victory in South Carolina, the sucker is over. Bernie Sanders is your nominee. Michael Bloomberg has been sinking in a lot of the state and national polling. Nate Silver points out that Michael Bloomberg is now receding back toward the field. He'd gotten up to close to 20%. Now he is receding back down toward 11% in a lot of the national polling. You're seeing the same thing happening in a lot of the state polling. So he's just clogging up that moderate lane. Instead of him actually clearing the moderate lane instead of Biden clearing the moderate lane, he just becomes another one of these also rans in this crab bucket where every crab is dragging down all the other crabs, Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Biden and Bloomberg, and they're all tearing each other down. The newest economist, YouGov Poll, has Bernie up at 30%, Biden at 20 Bloomberg at 11 and Warren at 16 and Buttigieg at 9 So Bloomberg is not rising up from the field in any of the national polling, you're seeing the same thing happen in the Emerson poll that has Bloomberg all the way down at 14. ABC News, Washington Post poll has him down at 14. NBC News, Wall Street Journal poll has Bloomberg down at 14. And yet, bizarrely, last night, it was Michael Bloomberg who was at the tip of everybody's tongue in a lot of the debate last night, which makes no sense. Because as we all know, Bernie Sanders is your national front runner right now. Now, the polls in South Carolina show that Biden does continue to have a lead. But how big that lead is, I mean it could be anybody's guess. There are two polls in the last thirty, in the last 48 hours, well, three polls in the last 48 hours. You have one from CBS News, YouGov, and it shows Biden up 28-23 on Sanders, so a fairly narrow lead. And then you have one from NBC News Marist that has Biden up just four points on Sanders and within margin of error at 27 to 23. And then there's a public policy polling poll, which is a Democratic firm, and that shows Biden all the way up at 36%, with Sanders all the way down at 21%. So if Biden were to blow out Bernie in South Carolina, Then what you could see on Super Tuesday is the two of them really start to split votes in a serious way. You could see Biden run the table in the South and you could see Bernie pick up votes in places like California. And Bloomberg at that point would be the complicating factor, not Biden. Now, the logic so far has been that if Biden doesn't win South Carolina, he needs to drop out so that somebody else has a shot at that moderate lane. But if Biden wins South Carolina, really it would behoove Bloomberg to drop out and toss his money behind Biden if he doesn't want to see an open socialist as the nominee. The bottom line here, though, is that Bernie does have the clearest path to the nomination at this point. 538 continues to put his odds of taking the nomination as the highest odds, about two in five. They say that no majority is still at two in five. They've got Biden at one in nine and Bloomberg down down at one in 50. So Sanders was the, was the frontrunner last night. And was Sanders attacked like the frontrunner? The answer, of course, is no, he was not. At the very beginning of the debate, for the first, they had a big debate in South Carolina, the, the first I don't know. 10 minutes of the debate. People started trying to launch attacks on Bernie. Now the biggest problem with launching an attack on Bernie if you are a Democrat is the problem that a lot of Republicans had launching attacks on Trump. What's the angle exactly? What's the angle? Now, with Trump, you could try and attack him from the right. You could say that he wasn't he, he wasn't right-wing enough. He wasn't he wasn't sort of hewing the line enough on various conservative issues, that he was a newcomer on the abortion issue, that he was a newcomer on the immigration issue. But Trump was willing to say whatever extreme thing he had to say in order to shore up the base. And Bernie, it's sort of the same thing. The attacks on Bernie that are going to damage him in a general election come from his right. But the base is not significantly to Bernie Sanders's right. Or at least they appear not to be. They appear to be willing to fall for his lie that Medicare for all means that you get to keep your doctor. They appear to be willing to fall for his lies that he's going to come up with $60 trillion to pay for all of this stuff. They appear to be willing to go along with his ridiculous heresies. So that means that most of the attacks on Bernie last night sort of fell flat. Because Bernie and his perspective are indeed fairly popular inside the Democratic Party. And as Bernie gains credence as a national presidential candidate, people are willing to shunt aside their fears and simply jump on board the bandwagon. The only person last night, there are only two people last night who really tried to take it to Bernie in any serious way. It, It really was Bloomberg and Buttigieg. Biden really didn't try to take it to Sanders in any serious way. Warren, I mean, honestly, I'm shocked at how bad these folks are at debate. I am shocked at it. Elizabeth Warren last night was going out of her way to attack Bloomberg while leaving Bernie alone because she clearly wants the VP slot from Bernie. And I'm just shocked that Bloomberg didn't say that straight out. Really, I'm, I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that when Warren was attacking Bloomberg, Bloomberg didn't say, listen, Elizabeth, I know that you were the front runner in this race for a short period of time. And then Bernie ate your lunch. and now you're desperately hoping to be Bernie's vice president. I get all of that, but I don't understand why you're attacking me. That's not going to make you Bernie's vice president. Right? It would have been devastating for her. Bloomberg, n- nobody is willing to call anybody out except for Bloomberg because Bloomberg's the safe territory. He's a billionaire. He used to be a Republican. And so it's easy to attack Bloomberg because you know that your base is behind you on most of those attacks. It's harder to attack Bernie. As we will see, Bernie actually had a pretty bad debate last night. Bernie was ranting and raving like the old communist lunatic that he is. But none of that matters because everybody knows that he's an old communist lunatic. Meanwhile, if you had to grade the candidates last night, here is your here's your preliminary grade. So You give Bernie basically a D, but it doesn't matter. Maybe N.A. is probably the better grade not applicable because it really doesn't matter. All he had to do was escape getting destroyed last night, and he basically did. Joe Biden had probably his best debate. His debate basically consisted of him standing there and shouting that he wanted more time to talk into the microphone and then not actually knowing what to say into the microphone. As we will see, it was kind of amusing. He kept doing it over and over and over, but it was Joe Biden trying to demonstrate that he is actually a living, functional human being with a brain that still has occasional flickers of light in it. And then you had Pete Buttigieg, who, again, turned into a very smooth debate. And the problem for Pete Buttigieg is that the smoothness of his debating skills is not going to make up for the fact that Buttigieg has no national appeal and can't even win his home state of Indiana. You had Amy Klobuchar, who was in also-ran. She had a fine debate, but Amy Klobuchar has never been able to generate any electricity on this stage. You had Tom Steyer. Now, it was funny. People last night were tweeting, why is why are people attacking Tom Steyer? The reason people are attacking Tom Steyer is because Tom, is because Tom Steyer actually has a fairly significant share percentage. In South Carolina, like Steyer's is the is, there are only three people running in double digits in the real real clear politics polling average in South Carolina. Biden, Sanders and Steyer because Steyer has dumped millions upon millions of dollars into South Carolina. That's the reason that Biden was going after Steyer, trying to take away support from Steyer. Steyer had what for him was a fine debate, but obviously he's going nowhere and and nowhere fast. So it was a, it was a pretty lackluster debate. The moderation has come under a lot of scrutiny. Because the moderators really did not take control of the debate, as you will see, it was incredibly messy. People could not get a word in edgewise. Everybody was so desperate to talk that you couldn't even get a clean hit in on anyone. If the debate last week was notable because everybody was just sort of spraying each other with bullets, last night was a clown car where everybody was sort of bonking each other with plastic hammers. And it was making the <laughs> sound. Now, that that really was the the, the sound on well, the sound last week was the sound of gunshots. The sh- the sound last night was. <laughs> as people hit each other <laughs> with the little plastic hammers that you get from the arcade. Okay, so here's how it began. It began with, with various other candidates attacking Bernie Sanders and doing so in fairly weak terms. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the necessity to lock your doors at night. You'd lock your doors at night, right? I mean, why would you leave your front door open? Chances are nobody's going to walk in, but you'd be a fool to leave your front door open. You wouldn't leave your car unlocked on the street. Chances are your car will be fine, but it would be stupid, I mean, with a quick flick of a wrist, you can make sure that your entire car is protected. Why wouldn't you do that with your internet activity? There are just hackers out there. They are waiting to get a hold of your credit card number. There are big ISPs who are waiting to get a hold of all of your data so they can monetize your data. Well, your data is your data. What you do online is your business. And this is why you should have a VPN. And the VPN that I use is ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN puts a stop to all of this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. So your online activity cannot be seen by anyone. ExpressVPN works on all your devices, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected, even if they don't have ExpressVPN. The best part is, using ExpressVPN is really, really easy, right? You install it on your computer, it runs in the background, you hit one button, you're now protected. It doesn't slow down your computer in the way a lot of other VPNs do, and it's not going to cost you a fortune. So if you're like me and you believe your online activity is your business... Secure your online activity today. Visit expressvpn.com/ben today. Use my exclusive link expressvpn.com/ben. You can get an extra 3 months for free. That's expressvpn.com/ben again. expressvpn.com/ben. Okay, so the debate began with a, a few different attacks on Bernie Sanders and it was everybody trying to kind of try their line. The biggest line that everybody was trying is that Bernie is unelectable. Now, the problem with this is that if you want to make the case that Bernie is unelectable, this is the case that Biden has been making all along. And it's true. Bernie has serious electability issues. I and mean, there's an analysis from Vox yesterday that specifically talked about the fact that Bernie would have to get like 55 percent youth turnout, which is not a thing that's going to happen if he hopes to make up for all the diff- uh, for all of the sort of deficiencies he has with suburban women and with moderates and with independents. And that is not going to happen. Right. So the fact that Bernie is the least electable of these Democratic candidates And that the national polling right now does not reflect any, any of the damaging material that will go out against Bernie. I mean, if you think that all the oppo research material that I've been talking about on the show for years, all the stuff that I've talked about for years, ranging from Bernie's supremely creepy pieces back in the 1970s, in which he actively talks about why young children should run around naked and touch each other's genitals to prevent the pornography industry from making money. He actually wrote that. I didn't write that. He wrote that. He wrote it when he was 30 years old. He was not a child if you think that's not going to come up, you're wrong. If you think that Bernie's life as a derelict loser until he was 39 years old when he was elected mayor of Burlington is not going to come up, you are wrong. If you think that Bernie's positions back in the 1970s, in which he embraced every authoritarian regime he could find, that those are not going to come up, you are wrong, right? They will come up and he will not get the soft pedal treatment that he's been getting from the media. He will not get the soft pedal treatment he got last night from the Democrats. He will get the full Trump and Trump is a weapon. Right? Trump in 2016, I made this point a thousand times, Trump is a hammer. Sometimes he hits a nail and it's delicious and sometimes he hits a baby and it is less so. Hitting Bernie Sanders will be hitting a nail and it will be hitting a nail repeatedly until the uh, until the nail splinters. Because the, the fact is that Bernie Sanders is ripe for oppo material. Donald Trump isn't going to figuratively hit Bernie Sanders with a kitchen sink. Donald Trump may in fact go down to the kitchen of the hotel where they are holding the debate, pry a sink off the wall, bring it up into the debate hall and hit Bernie Sanders physically with a sink. Okay, because that's who Donald Trump is. The man has no limits, like none. And so for Bernie, that's really bad because Bernie is still flying high on this. I have a a great vision for the future. Sure, it's the same vision as Karl Marx, but it's a great vision. Why can we not do this? Okay, Trump is going to have none of that. As we will see, even the Democrat attacks on Bernie's Marxism last night fell flat, mainly because a lot of the Democrats have sort of the same central premises as Bernie. They just don't like how Bernie is going about reaching his proposed conclusions. Okay, so... Here's how the attack starts. So Michael Bloomberg opens this thing up and he says, "Okay, Vladimir Putin would like for would like for Bernie Sanders to get the nomination because they want to see Trump elected. Now, this is really kind of ridiculous what Bloomberg is saying, because the truth is that basic latest intel suggests the opposite. The latest intel suggests that the Russians don't just want Bernie nominated. They want Bernie to win. And The Washington Post reported that. Why wouldn't they want him to win? He's a fellow traveler. I mean, the guy's, the guy's Wallace, uh, the, the guy is the the reporter from the New York Times, circa 1932, going around Ukraine, talking about how they've solved all problems of feeding the public. I mean, Bernie is a lifelong communist fellow traveler. Of course, Vladimir Putin wants him to be president. Is there, could a rational person think otherwise? Who do you think Putin wants? Do you think he wants the guy who, yes, he he believes he has been able to play Trump. There's no question Putin thinks he's been able to play Trump. But do you think that Putin wants the guy who has strengthened the United States military and handed deadly aid to Ukraine? Or do you think he wants the guy who speaks fondly of Vladimir Lenin? I am not kidding. Bernie Sanders speaks fondly. In 1988, he came back from the Soviet Union and talked about how the Soviet Union was finally achieving the visions of 1917, which is Leninism. So here is Michael Bloomberg getting, he can't even get this hit right, right? None of the hits on Sanders stuck because they're all done badly and because they're not true, at least in half. So here is Bloomberg, even while hitting Bernie, pulling his punches on, on Vladimir Putin.
1: I think that, uh, Donald Trump thinks it would be better if he's president. I do not think so. Vladimir Putin thinks that Donald Trump is, should be president of the United States, and that's why Russia is helping you get oh, elected so Mr. you'll lose to him. Let me
2: tell Mr. Putin, okay, I'm not a good friend of President Xi of China. I think President Xi is an authoritarian leader, and let me tell Mr. Putin, who interfered in the 2016 election, Try to bring Americans against Americans. Hey, Mr. Putin, if I'm president of the United States, trust me, you're not going to interfere in any more American elections. You won't have to, because this is no way out, and I'm Kevin Costner. Why would you interfere in the American elections? Because
0: the threat is coming from inside the House. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sure Vladimir Putin is quaking in his boots at at the at the geriatric communist. I'm sure he's just Vladimir Putin's like, oh, no, I mean, if Bernie becomes president, well, then I won't have to do anything. That's come on. Come on. okay. but he is right that that that, as we'll see, Bloomberg is very warm toward Xi Jinping of of China. And that is a, a flaw for for Michael Bloomberg. Right. This is one of the problems for Michael Bloomberg. Also, it is worth noting that Bernie has talked about the wonders of China before as well. So again, there's, a, there's no authoritarian leader who's a communist on planet Earth where Bernie hasn't paid lip service to, I don't like the authoritarianism, but I sure like the literacy programs and the breadlines. We'll get to more of the failed attacks on Bernie Sanders last night in just one second. First, let's talk about a truly great, meaningful gift. So over the mantle in my house, I have a painted portrait of my family, and it's just beautiful. And it didn't cost me a fortune because I went to paintyourlife.com. It is fantastic. So what do they do over at paintyourlife.com? Here's what happens. You can send them a picture and then you can pick an artist. And the artist will turn your picture into a painted portrait. And you can work with the artist to get it exactly right. So you can have an original painting of yourself, your kids, family, a special place, a cherished pet at a price you can afford from paintyourlife.com. It's a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist created from your favorite photo. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is promptly refunded. With Paint Your Life, you get your favorite moments transformed into a work of art that will be seen every day and cherished forever. It really makes our house that much nicer. It's wonderful for me to walk in and see pictures of my kids. I just love it. It's one of my favorite things in my house. And you right now can do this. And it doesn't cost you a fortune. Again, all you have to do is get a limited, there's a limited time offer right now. You get 30% off your painting. That is correct. 30% off and free shipping. To get that special offer, text the word BEN to 64000. That is my name, BEN, to 64000. Text BEN, B-E-N, to 64000. Go check it out right now. It's pretty fantastic. PaintYourLife.com. Text Ben to 64,000 for the special deal, 30% off your painting and free shipping. Okay. So Bloomberg launches the initial attack. That's a failure. Then there's Elizabeth Warren, who is desperately trying to cling to the notion that she is going to be Bernie's VP. So she sort of hits him and she sort of doesn't. Her hit is, I love everything that Bernie is saying. Bernie is just the best, but I'll be better than Bernie because I'm Native American. Like she she really has no reason why she'll be better than Bernie. So here is Elizabeth Warren not really hitting Bernie.
3: So look, uh, the way I see this is that Bernie is winning right now because the Democratic Party is a progressive party and progressive ideas are popular ideas, even if there are a lot of people on this stage who don't want to say so. Getting a progressive agenda enacted is going to be really hard and it's going to take someone who digs into the details to make it happen.
0: Okay, so that that is, you know, a a really, really failed attack by Elizabeth Warren because it's not meant as an attack. It was meant as, as more of an overture to why I should be Bernie's vice president. Then there was Pete Buttigieg, and Buttigieg's pitch is, do you really want Trump versus Bernie? Now, honestly, this is a fairly good pitch, right? I mean, the pitch is, do you really want this bleep show to go on all year? It's not a bad pitch. The problem is that, Nobody actually loves Pete Buttigieg all that much other than journalists who are college educated white people living in New York. I mean, other than that, Buttigieg has no base. So here is here's Buttigieg making his case against Bernie and again, it is not based on principle, it's based on like aren't these old people
4: annoying? I'll tell you what the Russians want. They don't have a political party. They want chaos, and chaos is what is coming our way. I mean, look, if you think the last 4 years has been chaotic, divisive, toxic, exhausting. Imagine spending the better part of 2020 with Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, that that is, a, that is a fairly good pitch. The problem is that judge isn't gonna prevent any of that and everybody knows it. Now, the only attack from the right on Bernie Sanders came from Tom Steyer and it fell completely flat. So Steyer, who again is competitive in South Carolina, but nowhere else, he says, I don't like the fact that Bernie's a commie and I, I don't like it bothers me. Now, normally this is a good attack. The problem is that again, the Democratic base is largely on board with many of the things that Bernie said because they grafted off of his off of his plans, right? His Medicare for All plan, half the field grafted off of it. And now Steyer is like, yeah, you know, maybe we shouldn't nominate a communist. It doesn't really go anywhere.
1: I don't like his solutions. I don't believe that a government takeover of large parts of the economy makes any sense for working people or for families. I think that what we need to do is to present an alternative that includes a vibrant, competitive private sector.
0: Okay, and that, 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 of course, is not going to have any real truck with a lot of Democrats. Now, Biden launched his own attack on Sanders. These are so weak tea. They're so weak tea. You have a geriatric communist standing before you who has endorsed every authoritarian regime of the last half century and who's been a useless human being for the last six decades of his life. And your best attack is he didn't vote in favor of the Brady Bill. This is Joe Biden trying to attack Sanders from the left, trying to say that Sanders isn't committed enough to progressivism. Good luck with this attack. You can't attack Bernie Sanders from the left. It's just not possible. Here is Joe Biden trying it, though.
1: Bernie voted five times against the Brady Bill and wanted a waiting period of 12 hours. I'm not saying he's responsible for the nine deaths, but that man would not have been able to get that weapon with the waiting period had been, what I suggest, until you are cleared. In addition to that, being progressive, he thought Barack Obama, he wanted a primary, he said we should primary Barack Obama. Someone should. And, in fact, the, the president was weak, and our administration was, in fact, not up to it.
0: Yeah, again, the, the, the attack on, on Bernie from the left on guns, that's not going to have any, any sort of play. And Bernie did respond by saying, I got that one wrong, but I've had to demine this from the NRA ever since, and I hope to get to Neff. Okay, that, that's actually not a terrible answer. Okay. finally, Bernie responds to all of this, and he responds in patented, wild-eyed communist fashion. He basically says, everybody's attacking me up here tonight because they know that I'm the frontrunner, and I'm the frontrunner because I'm a communist.
2: Pete mentioned, I'm, I'm hearing my name mentioned a little bit tonight. <laughs> I wonder why. And maybe, you know, Pete mentions what the American people want. I will tell you, Pete, what the American people want and Joe, what the American people want. They don't want candidates to be running to billionaires for huge amounts of funding.
0: uh, This again, this stuff has been playing. I mean, he's just he's playing the hits. Uh, I'll say this about Bernie. Bernie doesn't have a lot new to say, but dude plays the hits. I mean, if you go to a Doobie Brothers concert, you want to hear Listen to the Music. And if you go to a Bernie Sanders debate, you want to hear billionaires and millionaires and everybody who's rich. So that was that. Meanwhile, Biden did, in fact, basically say he has to win South Carolina. This was maybe the only big news of the debate. Biden basically said, I will win South Carolina. He didn't pledge you'd get out if he doesn't. But realistically speaking, if he doesn't win South Carolina, he's toast. Here is Biden admitting as much.
3: Mr. Biden, will you continue if you do not win South Carolina? You have said that South Carolina will determine the outcome of this presidential race. If you don't win South Carolina, will you continue? I will
1: win South Carolina. Okay, so that is his pledge. That is his
0: pledge. Now, will it happen? Maybe. And if he does, then it makes the race a lot more interesting, for sure. But if Bernie gets more delegates than Biden, he's going to end up with the nomination. And meanwhile, that was like the first 10 minutes of debate, all of this. Then Everybody just decides, you know what? How about like for an hour and a half, we just bag on Bloomberg? <laughs> that's, that's what happened. Seriously. Like everyone, particularly Elizabeth Warren, who is just openly campaigning. Like she's in the middle of the debate. She walked over to Bernie's podium and, and slipped him a resume for VP. I mean, like she she slipped him a binder full of women like Mitt Romney. Like she, she wanted. It, it's so obvious. She is so obvious and so transparent and so terrible, Elizabeth Warren. And so about... Ten minutes into the debate, she swivels and she just starts clocking Bloomberg again, like Mongo clocking the horse in, in blazing saddles. Because Bloomberg ain't the front runner. Bloomberg is fading in the polls. Bloomberg is not making a difference in this race. So Elizabeth Warren, to prove her bona fides, right, she's out there like Luca Brasi trying to prove her, trying to prove her fealty to the Don. And so here is here is Elizabeth Warren going after. Michael Bloomberg and suggesting that he's discriminatory against women, this time by telling a lie again. She, she, she's told this story before, this story where she was supposedly discriminated against on the basis of her pregnancy. Documentary evidence shows that this is highly unlikely, that she was actually offered to retain her teaching position unanimously in the school district, in which she talks about how she was discriminated against as a woman. She has falsified nearly every aspect of her own personal background, but she uses that to hit Michael Bloomberg because she is woman. Hear her complain. The
3: principal... Wished me luck and gave my job to someone else. Pregnancy discrimination, you bet. But I was 21 years old. I didn't have a union to protect me. and I didn't have any federal law on my side. So I packed up my stuff and I went home. At least I didn't have a boss who said to me, kill it. The way that Mayor I Bloomberg never said that have said okay. to one of oh, his on. pregnant employees.
0: OK, I mean, that that, that is just her showing off to Bernie Sanders at this point. By the way, that's an allegation. It's never been proved in court that he said kill it. If he did, obviously, it's a super evil thing to say. I am amused to watch Democrats suddenly realize that telling people to get abortions is a bad idea. And I was under the impression that they're very much in favor of women need to be empowered by having abortions. So apparently it's only bad when Bloomberg says it, but if they make that their entire national platform, then apparently it's not, it's not a bad thing anymore. And she continued along this line. I mean, the, the whole, like really, for, for a solid half hour, it was just Warren bagging on Bloomberg to prove that she was loyal to Bernie Sanders. She continued along these lines. Nora O'Donnell asked Bloomberg about jokes about women. And how is it that we go through an entire debate where Bernie Sanders is the front runner and he's never asked about the fact that he literally held in the 1970s that women who don't have orgasms get cancer? Okay, I'm not kidding about that. That is a thing that Bernie Sanders wrote back in the 1970s. In fact, he's on tape talking about it in the 1970s and 80s, that women who are sexually repressed were more likely to get cancer. How does he not get asked about that? But Bloomberg gets asked about everything. The answer is because nobody's willing to ask Sanders a tough question. Here's Nora O'Donnell asking Bloomberg a question and then Warren jumping in with both feet to try and destroy Bloomberg to prove that she is is loyal to Bernie.
3: Did these women take your jokes wrong or were you wrong to make the jokes?
1: Probably wrong to make the jokes. I don't remember what they were. So I assume I, if it bothered them, I was wrong and I apologize. I'm sorry for that. No, but if I'm you get sorry, nominated, Mark we'll be relitigating here. this Did all year. Do
4: what Senator, I asked. Senator-
0: And it just just. And then she says, you didn't do what I asked. Why is why is it up to Bloomberg to do what she asked? Since when is who made Elizabeth Warren queen? But of course, this is the I'm a woman on this stage and I'm going to hold Bloomberg to account. Really what it's about again is taking down Bloomberg at at Sanders's behest. When you spend all your time attacking the guy who is running like third in the national polling, then you that, that sort of betrays what exactly you are doing, Elizabeth Warren. Okay. meanwhile, Senator Sanders has no answers to anything. So Nora O'Donnell." Ask Sanders about the cost of his agenda. And Sanders has literally no answer to this and no one seems to care.
3: Good. Senator Sanders, Thank the you. cost of your agenda. Yesterday you released information about how you will pay for your major proposals, but not all of your details are clear. You've proposed more than $50 trillion in new spending. You've said Medicare for all will Over cost 10 $30 period. trillion. Dollars. But you can only explain how you'll pay for just about half of that. Can you do the math for the rest of us?
2: How many hours do you have? Two. I mean, uh, that, that is such a
0: terrible answer. How many, if it takes you that long to answer how you're going to pay for all of this stuff, that means you don't have an answer because he doesn't have an answer. Pete Buttigieg. Again, I, I think that Buttigieg is the best debater on the stage. I think he's the most talented politician on the stage, just in pure raw terms. Okay, Buttigieg was the only person willing to call out Sanders on this stuff, and, and he does. But the problem is that the moderators won't let Buttigieg get in a word in edgewise. This is one of the big stories of the night is the CBS moderators were just awful last night. At no point did they step in and act like adults. Instead, they just let everybody squabble. It's kind of like my kids in the back of the car when they can't decide which Star Wars movie to watch. Here is, here is Pete Buttigieg going after Sanders but not being able to get a word in
4: edgewise. Talking about math, and it doesn't no, take two oh, hours well, to do the math because let's talk about what we is. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about, let's talk about math. Okay, so here's the math. Nothing, no, here's the math. Doing nothing is what Excuse will me, happen. Senator. Let's talk
0: about math. Math. Let's talk about it. Math. I, I think we should talk about math. Math. What is it? Why? <laughs> and it continued like this. I mean, this is one of the themes of the night is that, ever, is that they weren't able to con- control it enough that anybody could get a solid shot in. At Sanders, right? Judge tries it again, like one second later. And again, he is not allowed to finish his point.
4: If you want to keep the House in Democratic hands, you might want to check with the people who actually turned the House blue. 40 Democrats who are not running 41. on your platform. They are running away from your platform as fast as they possibly can.
0: And that, of course, is exactly true. But doesn't matter because doesn't matter. OK, then there was Joe Biden. So Joe Biden is the frontrunner in South Carolina. I mean, lest we forget, he actually is the polling frontrunner in South Carolina. He was the longtime front runner in this race. So Biden's only thing that he did last night, he was basically irrelevant last night. He only did one thing, and that was he just kept saying that he wanted to talk. <laughs> that was really, that, that was his pitch last night. His pitch was, I'm here and I'm alive. And everybody was like, okay, Joe, sure, sure. So what he was really going for was in 1980, Ronald Reagan was on the ropes against George H. W. Bush in in some of the early primaries. There was a very famous New Hampshire debate at which at which Ronald Reagan had paid for part of the debate because all the campaigns paid for part of the debate, and when the moderator tried to shut up Reagan, and Reagan had this very famous moment. It was it was considered one of the turning points of the campaign, where suddenly he got mad, or suddenly he didn't look old anymore. He got mad and he said. I paid for this microphone, Mr. Green. who was actually Mr. Breen, was the name of the guy. But here is that moment from Ronald Reagan. This is clear. Uh, I'm playing this because this is clearly what Biden was trying to channel last night. Here's Ronald Reagan circa 1980.
2: Would the song, man, please turn Mr. Reagan's mic off. Is this on? Mr. Green, did you turn on the microphone off? You asked
4: for me if you would. I am paying for this
2: microphone, Mr. Green.
0: Okay, so it's that moment for Reagan that really turned things around. Watch Biden try to channel Reagan right here versus Tom Steyer. And he kept going back to the well on this This is clip 14.
1: The fact is, here's the deal. I'm not that. out of time. You spoke over time and I'm going to talk. Here's the deal.
0: Okay, and then the crowd cheers a little bit. Here's the, he spoke over time and I'm going to talk. Crowd cheers. And then the best part of this was he's like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And at the end of the clip, he has nothing to say. He literally has nothing to say. So he's like, I'm going to talk. I paid for this microphone and... And then he just sort of shuffles off into the distance. That was considered a fairly good move for, for Joe Biden. But whatever, whatever. And the fact is that, that Biden himself did not have a wonderful night. He didn't have a, a, a particularly great night last night. He did show that he was a little bit lively. There's the possibility that he does well in South Carolina. I don't think that it's well enough to stop Bernie Sanders' rise. But, you know, that, that was his big moment. His big moment was, I'm alive, right? He did it again, by the way, clip 20. You'll see Joe Biden do the exact same thing. He just cut once he got a cheer, he just kept going back to the well like a bad comedian telling the same joke over and over.
1: We've got to deal with the institutional racism. Mr. Vice President. Mr. Vice President. I know how you cut me off all the time, Mr. but I'm Steyer. not going to be quiet so anymore, me, okay?
0: I'm not going to be quiet anymore. He did this, I think, four times last night. This is this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk and you're not going to stop me from talking and stop talking. No one's trying to stop you from talking, Joe. You just have not had anything to say for like a year and a half. So that would be your big problem. Okay, we're going to get to more of the Democratic debate, plus the media reaction to the Democratic debate. We'll get to all of that momentarily. First, the Daily Wire's own Matt Walsh has a new book out. It's called Church of Cowards, a wake-up call to complacent Christians. Christians in other countries are still being martyred for their faith. But how many American Christians are willing to lay down their smartphones, let alone their lives for the faith? Well, Walsh breaks down the problems found in modern American Christianity. Go pick up a copy of Matt's new book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble today. I've read it. It really is a good read, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. Also, if you haven't jumped on the Daily Wire party bus, a reader's pass is a great way to dip your toe into the community if you're obsessed with news. A reader's pass will enable you to read our articles ad-free, including my op-eds, which are exclusive for Daily Wire members only. You also get access to our mobile app to read our stories and receive push notifications for breaking news and special content, which is perfect for when you want to stay up to date on the go. This membership tier is already a bargain at 3 bucks a month. If you are still hesitant, check out our special, magical offer. Right now, we are offering one month at 99 cents. That is mobile, ad-free access to all of Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds from yours truly, breaking news and updates on our mobile app, all for the low price of $1. Give it a shot. I think you will be hooked. By the way, next Tuesday, March 3rd, join me, God King Jeremy Boring, Andrew Claven, and Michael Moles on Daily Wire backstage while we watch the results from Super Tuesday roll in and roll in and roll in. It will be interminable. It will be long. I will suffer through it all for you. Go check out dailywire.com right now. Make the magic happen for yourself. Become a member. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So as I say, Joe Biden didn't have a great night last night. His His big move last night was to show that he was alive. He didn't stop gaffing. At clip 16, Biden basically says that that half of Americans have been killed by gun violence, which is which is news to half of Americans who are sitting there alive, unlike maybe Joe Biden. Here's Joe Biden completely botching
1: statistics on guns. But my friend and my right and others have, in fact, also given to the gun manufacturers absolute immunity. Imagine if I stood here and said we give immunity to drug companies. We give immunity to tobacco companies. That has caused carnage on our streets. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. More than all the wars, including Vietnam, from that point on. 150 million Americans dead from gun violence. I probably, I I
0: figure I would have heard something about that. My God. I mean, things are getting bad out there. Folks, (laughs) Folks, <laughs> Okay, so so here's what you have. You have the geriatric communist. And we'll get to the, the only attack on him that really made a difference last night at all was the attack that he is pro-authoritarian. And none of the Democrats were able to actually land this blow, which is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Then you had Mayor Bloomberg, who basically was just standing up there taking the brunt of the attacks. I mean, just taking the hits and also demonstrating that he is the worst. In clip 22, Bloomberg basically says that he would like to nationally ban trans fats and sugary drinks and all sorts of good things that people like. Here is here is nanny state Bloomberg explaining that he'd like to make it the nanny federal state.
3: Mayor Bloomberg is mayor of New York. You declared war on obesity, you banned trans fats from restaurants, and you tried to do the same with large sugary drinks. So if you become president, will you push those policies on the national level as well?
1: Well, I think what's right for New York City isn't necessarily right for all the other cities, otherwise you'd have a naked cowboy in every city. So let's get serious here. But I do think it's the government's job to have good science and to explain to people what science says or how to take care of themselves and extend their lives. Uh,
0: well, what, a, what a slate. Well, well done, everybody. What a slate you've come up with. A dead person, a nanny stater, and, uh, and a geriatric communist. Well, really well done. Okay, so finally 90 minutes into the debate. 90 minutes into the debate, the controversy of the day, which should have been minute one of this debate, comes up, right? And that is Bernie Sanders praising Cuba. Because he has praised Cuba, he's praised Nicaragua, he's praised Venezuela, he has praised the, the Soviet Union. The man has never met a communist regime for which he does not have warm words. Okay, this is what he does. So clip 26 is the one we're looking for. So Bernie is asked again about Cuba. And he says, sure, it's a dictatorship. But I just saw what Barack Obama said. I mean, it's it's a dictatorship, but they have great literacy. I mean, sure, they have great literacy. You, you should notice the contrast. There there's a very interesting contrast between how Bernie Sanders talks about the United States and how he talks about authoritarian dictatorships. So most of us in the United States, if you ask us, you know, what about the problems in the United States? We'll say, yes, absolutely there are problems in the United States, but it is the freest, best, most moral system ever created, right? That America has had its problems, continues to have its problems. But what justifies the system is the fact that the system itself is good and self-correcting. It has the capacity for self-correction. Sure, there's income inequality, but we are also the most prosperous country in world history. Sure, we've had serious problems. Horrible historic problems with discrimination in this country, but we have worked to fix them. We have worked toward a more perfect union because that's our system of government. It's the system of government that is found self-justifying. Bernie Sanders, however, will talk about, sure, America is, I mean, we say we have a democracy, but we don't really have a democracy. Is it really a democracy with income inequality the way that it is? And then he will talk about authoritarian states and he will say, well, sure, there's authoritarianism, but the literacy there is really great. So in other words, Bernie defends authoritarian states the way most Americans defend America, and he rips into America the way most Americans rip into authoritarian states. Right? if you're an American and somebody says to you, Cuba has great literacy rates, you're like, right." and also they imprison dissidents and, and kill people they don't like, and people live in poverty because their system is garbage. right So if, if somebody were to say to you a good thing about like what's happening in Cuba, the normal human reaction is, right, but that's so overwhelmed by the bad that that't even that doesn't even chart. And if somebody were to say to you, here's a bad thing that's happening in America, you'd say, right, that's bad. But the American system is so overwhelmed with good that as, on a contrasting basis, that is not really a close call. Bernie reverses the polarity, right? In America, all the good is outweighed by the bad. And in evil authoritarian countries, he'll kind of shuffle off, he'll pay the lip service to, I don't like authoritarianism, but you've got to admit, everybody can read. And that's how Bernie talks about authoritarian. So last night he's asked about Cuba and he, double, he triples down on the defense of Cuba's literacy programs, which is just an amazing move for a guy who supposedly wants to win Florida. Here is here's Bernie.
2: You got a real dictatorship there. Of course, you have a dictatorship in Cuba. What I said is what Barack Obama said in terms of Cuba: that Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think. Really, really, yes, literacy because there's programs no are bad. Excuse me. Occasionally, it might be. Good idea to be honest about American foreign policy. And that includes the fact that America has overthrown governments all over the world, in Chile, in Guatemala, in Iran. And when dictatorships, whether it is the Chinese or the Cubans, do something good, you acknowledge that. But you don't have trade love letters with them.
0: Okay, that's bad bleep lunacy. So that every element of that is crazy. So when he says that America has overthrown regimes in Guatemala, in Chile, in Iran, yeah, first of all, he's getting the facts wrong in some of these cases, particularly in Iran, he's getting the facts wrong. But when he says that we have to acknowledge that America is bad in the world, and we have to acknowledge when dictatorships like the Chinese or the Cubans do something good. And then when he says you don't have to trade love letters with them, he literally traded love letters with Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. I mean, he, he literally went down to Nicaragua and then traded and, and then swapped spit. With Daniel Ortega, the man went to Cuba, he came back and he talked about how the Cuban people worshiped Castro. Now, it was really funny because some of the other Democrats were like, yeah, you're easy on says, No, I've always condemned authoritarianism. This is where being a Democrat, you, you know, you guys might want to do your research because wouldn't it have behooved you to say, well, Bernie, actually, you haven't condemned authoritarianism everywhere. In fact, you've supported authoritarians all over the globe and then quoted chapter and verse for all the things that I've cited before. How he has talked about how the Soviet Union bread lines are good, how they have wonderful busing programs, how they are moving toward the vision of 1917, Cuba, how all the people worship Castro, Nicaragua, how Daniel Ortega is like Abraham Lincoln with with habeas corpus. How in Venezuela last year, last year, you refused to declare Nicolas Maduro a dictator. How does nobody say that on the stage? How? How is that even humanly possible? Like Bernie is a Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky leftist. That is where he is. He believes that America is a nefarious force in the world. He is more concerned with all of the supposed evils of American foreign policy than he is with actual dictatorships that keep millions of people in near slavery conditions. And he has not been hit on that. It's really incredible. And if you think that Trump won't come after him, he will come after him and he will come after him hard. That wasn't the extent of Bernie Sanders radicalism last night. Naturally, he saved his harshest words, right? He was fine with Cuba and China and all of the rest of this. He saved his harshest words for Israel because he's a proud Jew who campaigns with open anti-Semites who want to destroy the state of Israel and push the Jews into the sea. That guy's a proud, proud Jew. Major Garrett asked him about this last night. And apparently the only regime on earth that is racist is the is the Netanyahu administration in Israel. Despite the fact that Israel happens to be the only state in the Middle East that actually has a minority sitting in its parliament. right? It's the only state in the Middle East where there is a, an Arab party, the Joint List, that has 13, 14 seats in parliament. Where where Arabs have full civil rights? Here's Bernie Sanders basically calling Israel racist because Bernie Sanders is a retrogate. He's a retrogate communist, right? I mean, this is what he's he's following the Stalinist line from the 1960s or the Khrushchev line from the 1960s about where exactly Israel is on the world stage, right? So here, here's Bernie Sanders completely, completely just you know botching the situation worldwide. He always has harsher words for Israel than he does for any actual dictatorship on planet Earth because he likes the commies. He just doesn't like the Jews very much.
2: What would you say to American Jews who might be concerned you're not, from their perspective, supportive enough of Israel? And specifically, sir, would you move the U.S. Embassy back to Tel Aviv? Let me just. The answer is it's something that we would take into consideration. But here is the point I am very proud of being Jewish. I actually lived in Israel for some months. But what I happen to believe is that right now, sadly, tragically, in Israel, through Bibi Netanyahu, you have a reactionary racist who is now running that country. And I happen to believe, I happen to believe... That what our foreign policy in the East should be about is absolutely protecting the independence and security of Israel. But you cannot ignore the suffering of the Palestinian people. He has never
0: once, never once taken a position in favor in terms of his public policy of the independence and security of the state of Israel. And he campaigns with people who openly call for its destruction. And then he says, I'm a Jew and I spent time on a kibbutz. Congratulations, dude. I mean, seriously, like back in 1968, you spent like six months on a kibbutz. Last time I checked, it's 2020, right? And last time I checked, you're out there campaigning with Linda Sarsour. You're out there campaigning with Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. So spare me the hysterics about how you're pro-Israel. I mean, it's, it's obviously a joke. By the way, one of the great lies that was told up on the stage last night is that, first of all, the Israel-Palestine issue is central to Middle East. It is not. Second lie is when he suggests that Bibi Netanyahu is sort of the be-all end-all in Israel. Okay, first of all, Benny Gantz, who is Bibi's prime opposition in Israel, has exactly the same foreign policy position as Bibi with regard to the Palestinians. He embraced Trump's peace plan, which is worth noting. Okay, so in the aftermath of all of this, what happens? The answer is not much of anything. Biden has probably a slight increase in sort of public perception. I don't think Bernie had a good night by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't damage him enough to stop him from getting the nomination. South Carolina, Biden's gonna need to win big in order for things to to really change for him on the national level. Bloomberg has basically been exposed as a non-entity. And then after the debate, by the way, Bernie just, he kept doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down again. He praised Cuba after the debate again. I mean, he just can't let go of praising the authoritarians. It's unbelievable.
2: If somebody in Saudi Arabia or any country in the world teaches illiterate people to read, you get to me, that's a bad thing. It is not. Barack Obama made the point that Cuba had made good progress in health care and education. Cuba is a dictatorship. I've said that eight million times. But that does not mean to say, as Obama pointed out, that even under a dictatorship, you could teach people to read and to write. That I mean, you he, he's really, he's to really
0: willing people. to die on this hill. He's really willing to die on this hill of communist regimes do good things. It's pretty incredible. Now, how do I think things are going to end up? Again, I think Bernie remains the national frontrunner. I think he has a lot of momentum in states like California. I think he has racked up a delegate lead in some of these other places. And again, the moderates are hurting each other. Bloomberg is actually going to hurt Biden. If I had to put money on South Carolina, I do think Biden pulls out South Carolina. So I wouldn't have said that a week ago. I think that Bernie has been a little bit dinged up. I think that James Clyburn coming out in favor of Joe Biden, the the congressman from South Carolina, coming out in favor of Joe Biden is is a big move. I think that Biden is likely to win South Carolina. And I think it's going to be a little broader than I would have thought even a week ago. I don't think he's going to win narrow. So it could make the race kind of interesting. I mean, that would definitely liven things up again, because Bernie seems to have had this sort of unstoppable momentum. It would be the first time in recent memory that a firewall has actually worked. James Carville pointed out last night that that Bernie did get roughed up a little bit.
1: Bernie Sanders, is it the first time he's really gotten roughed up a little bit? And he didn't like it. I think that sort of, she made a, he looked like he had a cold. It was just something, uh, he wasn't terrible. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I'm not, calm down, Bernie Rose. But he, he was not, he was just, he was just a little off. He just wasn't quite himself.
0: And Van Jones came out, he said he can't believe that Sanders didn't walk back all the Cuba stuff. Like, this is not, this is not alleviating people's concerns about his electability.
4: I was disappointed with Bernie's answer on the socialism question. He had to know that was coming. Uh, There's no reason to do a big retrospective nostalgia scream fest about authoritarian regimes from the 70s. It was an opportunity for Bernie to clarify the American people. When he says democratic socialism, that's the point. <laughs> it's not that stuff from Cuba. It's not that stuff from the Soviet Union. It's the stuff that you see in, in Northern Europe is working well for normal people and they vote all the time. He failed to do that. It's unbelievable that he failed to do it. It's what a big chunk of our party needs to hear from him, and he did not do it tonight.
0: Okay, but what you're starting to see from the Democrats is they, they're now in sort of the final stages of grief, right? They, they've done the denial stage where it can't be Bernie. It definitely can't be Bernie. It won't be Bernie. And now they're getting toward acceptance, which is. Okay, well, I guess maybe it'll be Bernie. David Axelrod doing that routine. So Axelrod is smart enough to recognize that Bernie is a dangerous candidate for his party. But Axelrod last night was saying, don't worry, Bernie's not a socialist. It doesn't matter that he spent his entire life being a communist fellow traveler. Don't worry, Bernie's not a real socialist. He's just like a normal Democrat.
4: The Republicans and Donald Trump are going to make the same case against any Democratic candidate, but it's easier to make when that Democratic candidate embraces the title <laughs> of socialist and right. doesn't refute it. And the truth of the matter is, Bernie Sanders is not a socialist. I mean, if you look it up in the dictionary, he's not calling for, you know, the, oh, the, uh, the right. so, yeah. com- society to own the means of production and all of that stuff. And why he is so reluctant to make that point and why is he, why he He is like a fortress, Andrew, but not on that question tonight.
0: By the way, the backstop for Democrats is going to be eventually and they're getting there very quickly that. Yes. OK, fine. Bernie might be a communist. My, OK, yeah, we will say he's maybe he's a communist. All right. But, you know, he's not going to win the Senate, so he's not going to be able to effectuate any of this stuff anyway. That is not a strong pitch. That is really, really not a strong pitch. So that is where things stand going into South Carolina. That was the last major debate before all of this happens. The, the next the next election is happening on February 29th. It's happening in South Carolina. And we will find out very quickly whether Biden is still a viable candidate. At this point, Biden is the only viable candidate who has the possibility of stopping Sanders from taking the nomination. So I guess that, that debate did a little bit of damage to Bernie, but not enough to, I think, blunt the, the reality, which is that he is the front runner. Okay, time for a quick thing that I like and then a quick thing that I hate. In fact, you know what? We're gonna skip the things that I like. We're gonna go directly to the things that I hate. So things that I hate today. So President Trump is scheduled to give a little bit later today a press conference on coronavirus. As I've said before, I do not think that this is the smartest move. I think the president of the United States should be telling Alex Azar, his health and human secretary, his health and human services secretary, to give the press conference. Why? Well, because President Trump doesn't know anything about the science, because he doesn't pretend to know anything about the science, and because he is too busy tweeting out dumb crap about coronavirus. So, for example, the president just this morning tweeted out a tweeted tweeted this out low ratings fake news msdnc comcast and cnn are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus spelled c-a-r-o-n-a-v-i-r-u-s coronavirus look as bad as possible including panicking markets if possible likewise their incompetent do-nothing democrats are all talk no action usa in great shape cdc will be having a news conference at the white house on this subject today at 6 p.m cdc representatives and others will be there thank you Okay, Okay. attacking the media for the coverage of coronavirus is not going to make anybody feel any better. Okay, what you actually need to do is spell out your plans for all of this. Apparently, that's going to happen a little bit later today. He's lashing out at the media in all of this. I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I have young kids. I am an American who worries about pandemics. I think most Americans at this point are worried about pandemics. The stock market has been off dramatically over the last couple of days. It is back up somewhat today, a little bit of a, a bounce today. It is not quieting when the president of the United States is out there just sort of spouting about coronavirus. Like, this is the time when an actual message discipline should kick in. This is the time when the administration says, hey, here are the steps that we are taking in order to prevent the spread of coronavirus. This is not the time to be going on Twitter and sounding off about coronavirus and misspelling coronavirus or suggesting that a vaccine is being developed for coronavirus when well, what you really mean was Ebola. Like, it's just not the time for any of this. It's not the time. Like, this is the time when Trump needs to Sit down and let his people do their jobs. And please, for the love of Pete, stop tweeting. Okay, another thing that I hate today. Now, if you want to rip on the media, there's plenty of good reasons to rip on the media. Here's a great reason to rip on the media. So James O'Keefe over at Project Veritas has once again uncovered people in the media making asses of themselves. So David Wright is an ABC News correspondent. And as we have been saying for a very long time, news correspondents have perspectives, right? Jim Acosta has a perspective. His perspective is that that dude loves Jim Acosta, but some people have actual political perspectives. And David Wright, who is a correspondent for ABC News, he has one of those perspectives. So Project Veritas caught him on camera talking about how he is a socialist and how he buries particular stories in order to achieve particular purposes, basically admitting the truth about how the media business works.
1: You consider okay. yourself a Democrat, socialist? Yeah. Kind of like that. I'd consider myself a socialist. Truth suffers. The voters are poorly informed. Our bosses don't see an upside in doing the job that we're supposed to do, which is to speak truth to power and hold people to account. We also don't give him credit for what things he does do.
0: Okay, so that, that he openly admits that the media will not give Trump credit for the things that he does do, and they will bury stories. They will bury stories. Okay, that, that is an amazing thing. Now, it's, it's not amazing because we didn't know it. Of course, we did know it. But it's amazing because they admit it and they all know it, right? I mean, this the, the question about many members of the media was originally whether the members of the media knew what they're doing or whether this is all just sort of an echo chamber and they don't even think about it. Whether they're so ensconced in this echo chamber of people who agree with them that it never even occurs to them that what they are doing is bad and wrong and vicious. But David Wright basically blows the lid off that. He's like, yeah, sure, I'm a socialist and we bury stories. He says, oh yeah, I consider myself a socialist, not just a democratic socialist, like a full-on socialist. Uh, Incredible. He says, so ABC News suspended David Wright yesterday. The network disciplined him. He reports for World News Tonight, Good Morning America, and Nightline. He says, I don't think we're terribly interested in voters. He says, commercial imperative is incompatible with news. And he says, we don't hold him to account. We also don't give him credit for the things that he does do, the him would be President Trump. And then he refers to Trump at another point as the effing president. ABC, according to the Washington Post, was also alarmed at writes criticism of ABC News, which is owned by Disney Corporation. At another point, he raises another longstanding critique of ABC News, that it blends news with promotion of Disney-owned movies and TV programs. He says, you can't watch Good Morning America without there being a Disney princess or a Marvel Avenger appearing. It's all self-promotional. Well, that's true. But if you're talking about media bias, In favor of things like Marvel Avengers seem to be the least of the problems. ABC News said in a statement, Any action that damages our reputation for fairness or impartiality or gives the appearance of compromising it harms ABC News and the individuals involved. David Wright has been suspended, and to avoid any possible appearance of bias, he will be reassigned away from political coverage when he returns. Okay, well, wouldn't it behoove you to just simply admit who you are? This is one of my big bugaboos about the media. I've said this about Don Lemon on Anderson Cooper on CNN. Like, we all know where you are politically. This nonsense where you pretend to be objective or even straining for objectivity in any way is ridiculous. And we all know that it's ridiculous. I've told this story before, but I remember Sam Donaldson, who recently came out and endorsed Michael Bloomberg, correspondent for ABC News for a very, very long time. Sam Donaldson was at the 2012 RNC, and I was there as well in beautiful Tampa. And I was walking the floor and I come across Sam Donaldson and his his eyebrows and I walk up to him. And he's doing like these little radio hits for ABC News at the time. And they're perspective pieces, right? Perspective pieces on why the left is right and why the right is wrong and all of this. And I go up to him and I say, so Sam, did you hold these views back when you were a journalist? And he says, of course I did. And I said, well, isn't it dishonest for you to have held those views and clearly known how you felt about these things and then cover the news in a non-objective way? And he got very upset with me, very upset. Those eyebrows came at me from the dark. And he said, and, and Sam Donaldson said, uh, do you think you're better than me? You think you're be- Are you saying you're better than me? And I say, well, I mean, kind of like, yeah, because um, I say who I am, right? I'm a conservative. I'm covering news from a conservative perspective. I'm not lying about any of this stuff. And Sam Donaldson was very frustrated by this. But this is the great lie that the media have been telling themselves for years is that one, they are objective two, that they are capable of objectivity, despite their deeply held political beliefs. Honestly, if they would just say up front, yeah, I'm a Democrat and then cover the news, they'd be so much better off. There's a reason that I don't bother to critique how MSNBC covers the news. They're all Democrats. We all know they're Democrats. So pointing out their bias is manifestly stupid. Doing the same about ABC News or CNN, however, is a very different thing. All they're doing is handing Trump a club with which to beat them, obviously. Also, worth pointing out, good on James O'Keefe, right? O'Keefe continues to have a string of of successes in exposing members of the media. It turns out all you have to do is put a camera in somebody's face in the media and they're willing to tell you about their own biases. O'Keefe is doing more honest reporting and many members of the mainstream media. I mean, at least O'Keefe will ask the reporters questions. The reporters won't even ask Bernie Sanders questions. Wright has been at ABC for 20 years. He has covered the White House and was Nightline's lead political reporter during the 2016 presidential campaign. Their lead political reporter, acknowledging that stories were buried to damage President Trump. He shared a 2004 Emmy Award for his reporting from Iraq, shared a Peabody Award for reporting in Afghanistan after September 11th. So again, well done on Project Veritas. And- it is hysterically funny that ABC thinks that by suspending him, they're going to quiet all the questions because clearly they are not. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours. Quick note, by the way, next Tuesday, March 3rd, again, join me, Jeremy Boring, Andrew Claven, Michael Moles on Daily Wire backstage. We will watch the results from two Super Tuesday roll in. We'll find out whether that Bernie red juggernaut is able to run through Super Tuesday and take the nomination after Super Tuesday. This thing's basically over. So we'll have results for you live on Super Tuesday. We'll be here basically... All day long, all day long, with a wide variety, a coterie of magical guests, a cavalcade of stars. So come check us out over at dailyware.com and subscribe. Get all the great behind-the-scenes material. We have so much good stuff coming for you. You won't even believe it. Otherwise, show up here later today for two additional hours or tomorrow when we recap everything happening in the news. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Klavan Show. The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Sayovitz, audio is mixed by Mike Koromina, hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020.
1: On The Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.
0: We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free...